and welcome to Thinking Outside the Box with me, Tim Box. And me, Brett Box. We talk about all things mental health, emotional well-being and how to navigate your own mind in these strange times. Um, but guess what? We're not doctors, so please don't confuse any of our advice for medical advice. And even though we do tend to look at these subjects with a slightly more light-hearted approach, please don't think that we're trivialising any of it because we certainly don't. But we do maybe come at it from a different perspective, hence thinking outside the box. So, Brit, we are at episode nine. Can you believe it? I, I can scarcely believe it. Um, I'm, I'm so proud of us for continuing to do these podcasts. With my very short attention span. It's amazing. It's <laughs> astonishing. I can't, you know, even as you, as you say it out loud, I'm thinking, yeah, how's this happened? But, but well done to both of us. <laughs> a big pat on the back. Oh, all yes, round. obviously, obviously. <laughs> um, now, talking about uh, a more lighthearted approach that we <laughs> generally take, this week's episode is about grief. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm 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 relying on you to bring the lols here, as I normally am. To be fair, I'll do my best. Um, but obviously, I suppose this inevitably should be like a bit of a warning to people. This may this might get, I suppose, slightly. I don't know. What would you say? Deeper, heavier than normal? I don't know. It might get it might get borderline deep. But please know that the deepness of our podcast does seldom gets deeper than your average puddle. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not talking oceans deep. But what I will say is just as always, as I always say on these podcasts, be kind to yourself. If you are maybe not in the right frame of mind to listen to two idiots on a podcast talking about grief right now, then by all means please leave, come back at another time. We will not take it personally. Um, but if you do feel like you're in the space to to listen to that kind of thing, then then please do listen on because we've got a great podcast lined up for you today. Absolutely. That's a better sell than two idiots talking about grief, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. So, um, okay, yeah, well, we're, we're, this is it. We're going to do our best to break it down the way we see it and uh, talk about our experiences yes. and a bit of knowledge that we might have uh, gained over the years, maybe. Yeah, um, and we are going to try and keep it fairly light whilst talking about a heavy manner kind of what we do every week if you like the sort of thing that we've been doing up until now and you've enjoyed it and made it this far then you'll probably like this one and uh yeah you'll probably be fine with it yeah i think so i think so but i suppose the first question to ask and thus answer hmm. why are we doing one on grief it's a very good question and which you don't <laughs> seem to have an immediate answer for <laughs> When Well, I say this at the start of most of our podcasts now, but when we sat down and decided we wanted to do this, grief was something that I wanted to talk about because uh, those of you who are listening who know my history will know um, the experience that, that I've had with grief over the years, um, but also how I've come to realise that grief is more than just bereavement. So, and I, I wouldn't have realised that a long time ago. I thought that, you know, you hear the term grief when someone you know or love or was related to has died. But grief is so much more than that, isn't it? Yeah, I think it can be, it can be a whole, there can be a whole manner of drivers behind grief. And, mm. and I guess it, it causes us to define grief initially, as in what, what we think it is so that we can then talk about it. But I think we touched upon this in the episode that we did on your journey with depression. Yes. Because certainly one of the major drivers for your initial experience or your major experience of depression was grief, mm. grief over your nan and your mum. Mm. But I think we recognised then that it would be worth doing an entire episode on grief because there's so much more to say about it than simply how it can cause depression. Yeah, and I think that even if you've been lucky enough to never lose anyone close to you, everyone will experience grief uh, at one point of an or another, even if you don't realise it's necessarily grief that you're going through. 
absolutely absolutely and um i think it, it, this is the time to define it isn't it as in what what are we calling grief then i think you you said to me the other day um you you had a definition of it that you liked yeah so i looked it up and grief is the response to loss and i think that's that's really good because we we sometimes think of grief as um the after effects of it so we think of grief as the depression as the sadness as the hollowness yeah. as all of that but it's actually not grief itself is just the physical and mental response to loss and that loss could could literally be anything yeah i agree and, and that's that's an important definition here because a lot of the time when we go through difficult emotional periods in our life we we very much look around externally at what's caused them and almost like well we have to ride this out because that happened or, or this occurred and that sort of thing and it's our response to it it's our emotional response to the situation that we're presented with yeah so, and some people think that they shouldn't be feeling it because the thing that happened either happened a long time ago or they don't consider it to be um big enough or important yeah. enough or you know but it, it really doesn't matter so um as we've we've said before on, on these episodes we're currently recording this in the spring of 2021 so whenever you're listening to this have a look back at what was going on in the UK at that time and around the world um, because at the moment obviously we yesterday or the day before was it we've hit a year uh, to the day yep. since the UK was first put into its uh, coronavirus lockdown yeah um, it was the day that uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson sat down and said right you all need to stay at home don't see anyone mm. don't do anything and and I cried for three hours so it was it was that so we are now a year from that and about three four months ago I said to you didn't I and I yeah. said on my Instagram that I'd pinpointed the feeling I was feeling because obviously I've known depression in the past yeah. and that wasn't what I was feeling I've known anxiety and that wasn't what I was feeling what I was feeling and what I think collectively around the world people are feeling is grief yeah. is grieving the year that never was yeah you all know that time lost and all those opportunities all those things we were going to do exactly all the plans we had it's yeah. not just so much as you know oh we've had to stay in for a year but if you were to sit back and you think okay what have I done over the last 12 months mm. then you you can come up with all kinds of different things but the past 12 months if all you've done over the past 12 months is breathe and exist and get to the other side of it, then then that's been successful. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that we are collectively grieving a year and obviously mm. people. Let's not forget that, you know. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, we, we've had to confront the idea of loss yes. a great deal in the last 12 months in particular. A bit of a grim anniversary, isn't it? Mm. Past, a year since we were put in lockdown. Could you imagine if they'd had said at the time, okay, we're all going to be in and out of lockdown for the next 12 months. Yeah, I remember it was initially meant to be three weeks, wasn't it? Yes, and we know someone that had a three-week countdown on their wall. Absolutely, which <laughs> I think I think many people did. They were like, right, we've got to get through these three weeks and then we're out. And yeah, I mean, like you say, if they'd have actually said at the time, yeah, I think you can expect this to be going on for over a year. <laughs> I think you know that I would have cried for longer than three yeah, hours. Exactly, I'll tell you yeah. that. But then, isn't this the way of grief? We don't expect loss. No, you know, we have what we have, whether it be our our the state of affairs in our life, our situation, our relationships, whatever yeah. it might be, and we think right. That's we we sort of we level we put the bar there don't we yeah that's our that we take it for granted and then if we lose it you know it comes out of the blue most of the time doesn't it we're not expecting to lose the things that we've taken for granted i'll be honest as well even if you are expecting it even if you know it's going to happen grief is still it, it still just takes the rug out from underneath you yeah and like i was saying to you i 
personally feel that um that with grief it's not just around people that you lose it can be about anything Mm. you know it can be jobs it can be friendships it can be you know anything that you've lost and I think one real important distinction that I want to say and point out is that you are allowed to grieve people and situations that weren't good for you yeah. You know, you think that you come out of a, a situation that that you're happy to be out of, yeah. that you're glad you've left. Mm. You are allowed to grieve it. I can remember leaving a job that I hated, that yeah. I absolutely hated, that on the way to, to handing in my notice, I was skipping down the street. I was so pleased I was handing in my notice. Yeah. I didn't want to be there anymore. But then after I walked out of the building for the last time, yeah. I got really emotional and I got really teary, Mm. not because I was going to miss the job per se, but I was going to miss the nice people I worked with. I was going to miss the routine I'd set myself up for, you know, I was going to miss all the little things like going in and knowing there'd be a cup of tea waiting for me. Like I know, and this is the problem. Mm. And then all, all the good things I started remembering, I then started thinking, oh my God, am I doing the right thing by leaving this job? Yeah. But I absolutely was, and it was the right thing for me to do. And I didn't, you know, there were lots of aspects around the job that I liked, but I didn't like the actual job. I think this is it's a really good point as well. I'm sure many people listening, you know, I mean, you without wishing to dredge up our sordid past, we've both been in terrible relationships, you know, <laughs> that maybe we didn't realise at the time was so bad, but then you look back and you think, oh my God, what was I doing in that? Yeah. But then when, when they end you know there there is a genuine sense of loss yes. because whether it's fundamentally good or fundamentally bad there's certain elements of your situation that you have assimilated as part of your existence yeah. and inevitably uh, to to rid yourself of the negative stuff you also have to cut loose the good stuff and the mm. stuff that you've come to rely on but do you find that you always the good stuff tends to highlight itself after after you've walked away. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the stuff you miss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't miss all the arguments. You don't no. miss all the stuff that you that caused you to come out of that situation. You just suddenly notice that, oh, I haven't got that other stuff that I was leaning on or that I came to rely on and yeah. things like that. And here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here saying, okay, so maybe think twice before you end that relationship <laughs> or you, you quit that job. No, because, if someone's making you feel bad, dump his ass. Well, exactly. This is the thing. It's like we shouldn't fear the consequences of doing what's right for us yeah and then too many people get stuck in situations be it careers jobs relationships etc where they're just remaining there because they fear the consequences of coming out of it and and they fear losing that whatever stability Mm. that is it's almost like that comfortable chaos isn't it yeah the the situation we don't necessarily like but we fear the the alternative yes absolutely so i think you're absolutely right it's perfectly legit to grieve the thing that actually you recognize you know you wouldn't you wouldn't go back to it, no. Yeah? But it, but you obviously experience some loss within it, you, you know? know. And also, also friends as well. Like I, I have people that I that I used to be friends with, that I used to be really close friends with. Yeah. And and I kind of realised, oh, being being friends with you isn't it's not good for me anymore. It's not yeah. it's not good for me mentally. It's not good for yeah. for my self esteem and who I am as a person. And that's not me saying you should only be friends with people for what you get out of them. Mm. But if someone if every interaction you have with another human being makes you feel shit about yourself, it mm. might be time to really evaluate the situation. And again, this is the thing. You weren't friends with them for no reason. Though. No. It was no coincidence that you started to hang out together. So inevitably, it's it's okay to be grieving the loss of, of the stuff that you liked about your interactions, even if you hadn't experienced any of that for ages and it yeah. had long ago just become, I don't know, what we might call toxic for you or whatever, yes. you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, all of this is absolutely legitimate. But uh, what I want to talk about, mm. um, so you know, with that caveat of it doesn't have to be just the loss of a person, yes. I think it's important too, because, you know, if I can bring in a little bit of, I don't know, 
theory or whatever. I want to talk about the five stages of grief. Right. See, I was adamant there were seven, and you told me there uh, were There five. are also 12. It depends, it depends on the model you're using. It depends on okay. how many you want to go through. Exactly. Yeah, well, this is the thing. So, But the initial, like the OG stages of grief, yes. yeah, w- was five. Right. And it was it was by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She was, um, I believe she was a psychologist. I think her book was published in the 60s, I think. I might be getting that wrong. I'm sure somebody can correct me if I am. But it was called... Uh, I'm sure on, somebody will. <laughs> on, yeah, <laughs> it was called On Death and Dying, I believe. And it was a study of people in the, the final stages of life so Mm. she was like in a hospice with terminal ill patients and she was observing their emotional journey um through the loss of their life right she then went on to expand i know yeah it sounds like like absolutely fun fun. (laughs) yeah i mean does anyone actually decide that's what i'm going to do for a living um but you know to be fair though what rewarding work and what amazingly important work because she then expanded her observations into general grief so not just loss of our own life but Mm. loss of people around us and loss of you know all the other things we've just discussed in terms of grief um and she noted five distinct stages now i should say before i start to talk about this as if i'm saying this is the you know this is gospel now this This is is the way yeah this is the way um i'm not saying that at all actually uh because there's a lot of criticism about the observed five stages of grief as a model yeah but the reason for that is because most people confuse them as being in some way prescriptive like you're meant to go through them in this order and if you don't you're doing grief wrong or something like that and also we've got to recognize the limitations of of this study you know if everyone is a unique human being i think the value of this is in its descriptive nature not prescriptive nature in as much as what we might be feeling our emotions are, are no trouble if we understand them yes i think the confusion that comes with loss can be one of the real the real hurdles to overcome mm. because we don't always understand why we feel the way we do no. and oftentimes we can be a little bit down on ourselves for feeling a certain way for a certain amount of time also the pressure we put on ourselves is unlike any pressure we'd put on anyone we knew exactly yeah Exactly. Well, isn't that always the case? You know? mm. um, but anyway, five stages of grief. So these are the ones that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross observed. First stage, denial. Right. Second stage, anger. Mm-hmm. Third stage, bargaining. That's the one I've never really understood. Um, well, yeah. We're going to talk about these in a yeah. little bit more detail. But uh, fourth stage, depression. Mm-hmm. And final stage, acceptance. Okay. Now, we should say, this isn't like everyone will go through these stages in that order for a certain <laughs> amount of time each, you know, it, you will literally find yourself darting between different stages. Yeah. And also, we're going to talk about what other stage we might want to add to that. Yeah, because I don't, I don't see uh, the wine and ice cream stage. <laughs> I think is that, is that part there. is that an integral part of the depression stage? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I think it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. It's to counteract. Yeah. It, it? yeah, it's the response to it. But here's the thing. So the first thing is denial. So we go it's through not that. Not just a river in Egypt. Oh, very good. You yeah. told me to bring the lols. This is the best I can is do. Is that the best you can do? I've not left the house in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> just just being here and being articulate is a good. Start. That's all you're getting from me. Um, you're lucky I'm not in my pajamas. Uh, oh, so we're pretending you're not in your pyjamas yes. right now. Are we? Okay. <laughs> um, right, so denial is is where, well, we, it is what it is. You know, we refuse to accept the reality of the situation and we kind of live in a pref, preferable oh. oh, fantasy. Oh, here we go. There yeah. we go. Um, so we, we have a version of things. So, And that's what happens when when we experience imminent loss, mm. you know, and also, you know, if we, if we look at, we could compare this to the situation we're in at the moment, couldn't we, with the pandemic? A lot of people went through denial of this being a serious thing or yeah. something that we'd have to deal with. Uh, so denial is that that first stage. It's it's if you like, it's the confusion created by the shock 
of, yes. of the state of affairs. You well, know? I know that, you know, last year you and I lost a, a very close friend and mm. um, we got told the news in the evening and we didn't say a word to each other for what was it, like 12 hours? Mm. Because we were both just mm. in complete denial and shock, yeah, I yeah, would yeah. say. Well, this is it. You, you question it, don't you? Mm. You think, oh, that it must be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and, and this is, uh, yeah. And, but there, it's important that at some point we move into the following stages mm. because as difficult as the following stages can be, um, they are at least dealing with the reality of the situation rather than the fiction that is more preferable to us. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the next stage we want to talk about is anger. Mm -hmm. So this is where we <coughs> seek to blame. We, we seek to, to lash out, you know, and there's a lot of, again, let's, let's compare it to the pandemic. There was a lot of anger about what was going on. We, we had this whole community coming together thing. The old Dunkirk yep. spirit kicked in in the UK, <laughs> I feel. Everyone was strangely nice to each other for a while. Um, um, until people were beating each other up for the last packet of pasta and Asda. Oh, yeah. As soon as the toilet roll got scared, that's <laughs> it all gets her off. Um, but, it, but, you know, and you probably one of the prevailing emotions that most people feel on a daily basis right now is anger. Because they're maybe angry at the government, mm. maybe they're angry at the people around them who are dealing with it in different ways. You know, somebody's not wearing a mask, we get angry, that sort of thing. But when, when, when you when you liken it to actual loss of, of people, yeah, you know, people will then get angry at little things. It'll be like angry at doctors who did their best and there was nothing else they could have done. Yeah. Angry at, you know, themselves for not, you know, being proactive enough or angry at, just angry at the world for the person they love being taken away. Or angry at the person for not being there anymore. Mm. You know, yeah. That's, that's a real common emotion is also sometimes we don't get to say the things we needed to say to that person. Yeah. A lot of the time our relationships can be quite fraught. For example, if we lose a parent, we don't, children don't always get to express their emotions or their feelings or the things that they were put through um, while parents are alive. And when that opportunity is gone, we have this unresolved anger. Well, it's like we often say, isn't it, that I lost my mum when I was 16, mm. that I was never an adult with her. We, were, we never got to become, you know, adult friends. Yeah. It, she was always just my parent and I was always just a, a kid. Mm. So I never got to, I never got to, oh, I was so angry when my mum died. I was so, I was angry at everyone. I was angry at the doctors. I was angry, even though it wasn't their fault. I was angry at my mum for not seeking treatment early enough. I was angry at me for not doing enough. I was 16. I don't know what I was expecting myself to have done. But yeah. I had anger for me. When, when I look down the five stages of grief that you've got there, mm. I just remember anger being one of the the prevailing ones that, mm. that's probably still still massively underlying with me. But yeah, what's the next well, one? <laughs> quickly moving on. Quickly well, I was going, going to say, this is other than you're just out and out rage at, at the world at the in world. general. Yeah. That you, that yeah. you would normally think. Yeah. Very angry human being. Um, but I'd like to be, again, without wishing to, you know, drift too close to the bone here, mm. there, certainly if we find ourselves being an angry person with a short fuse... Um, Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm trying not to look at you. <laughs> You're saying a short person with an angry fuse. There's something like that. Yeah. No. no I'm, I'm not. I'm not looking at you at all. Actually. But the, the thing is, there's if we experience um, an excessive amount of anger that, that kind of lingers. Yeah. Oftentimes it is because we have unresolved anger about something in the past. That yeah. is, and if you, if you imagine it like I don't know a cup, yeah, and you've your anger it should be empty of anger from you know day to day. Mm. But if you've had stuff that you haven't had resolution on, a mm. part of you hasn't had the the wrong righted as it were yeah then you've you've got a fairly full cup at all times so now the little things cause you to overflow you know if you can't release your anger in the direction it needs to go it will find another direction to go yeah you know so so anger is one of those ones that that probably 
needs to get resolved, needs needs to actually find some peace. Yeah. yeah? Um, but the, the third stage, bargaining, yeah, this is the stage that, that I struggle to articulate um, in, in the correct way. So when it came to people who were dying, who were terminally ill, they would do that thing of, well, if only I survive this, I'll be a good person from yeah, now yeah. on. Um, and bargaining can be retrospective bargaining. So when we've lost somebody, if only I'd have told them how I feel, if only I'd have done more to help them, that sort of thing. And we kind of, um, what it is basically is an attempt to gain some kind of control over the situation uh, when faced with that difficult truth that we can't control when we lose people right okay. yeah um, and it's also why people who've suffered abuse when they were young will often blame themselves for it mm. because if if we can take ownership of why it happened it's our fault then we at least have some say in whether it happens again or not mm. yeah so it's almost like it's like a little bit of a misplaced bargaining it's yeah. the attempt to control the things that are beyond our control which is you know life and death mm. yeah um but again, a difficult stage because we can often get locked in that stage. Yeah? Um, fourth one, depression, perhaps one that we understand a little bit more easily. Um, and again, we've covered depression in the, the podcast um, on, on a previous episode. But we, we defined then, didn't we, that it's not so much sadness. It's almost like the inability to see the possibility of future happiness. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's less where we are, more about what the future holds. Yeah. And when we lose something or someone that was part of our definition of our happiness then that's a grim outlook, isn't it? Mm, we lose in, infinite possibilities that we could have had with them as well. And mm. that's, what we're, that's what we're sad about, not just, mm. not just the initial loss, but the future losses as well. Yeah, exactly. What life holds for us now. You yeah. know? I've said this many times, that if we don't see some you know, tangible path towards some kind of happiness, then it's, life doesn't tend to hold much meaning for us. Because no. you know? happiness is... Uh, I mean, for me, anyway, again, different psychologists will, will argue about this, I'm sure, till the cows come home, <laughs> and philosophers as well. But I mean, my, my philosophers attitude... Philosophers will argue about anything. Well, my attitude comes from a philosophical approach more than the psychological one, I feel. I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think, you know, our, our goal here hmm. is to find the best strategy for the most happiness. That's what we're looking for. That's what our, our emotions drive us towards, yeah. is happiness. And, um, and I think when it doesn't seem tremendously imminent or possible, yeah. you know, then, then we might experience, you know, that what we call depression, that kind of loss of hope. Um, and again, you know, just to refer it back to the pandemic. There's, there's a lot of people who have started to ask, you know, certainly in the new year when we thought we were near the end of it, oh, we're out of 2020, yay. And then we realised, oh, we're sort of still in the middle of it, aren't we really? There's a little bit of, will this ever end? <laughs> Will yeah. we ever get to the stage where I can go to Sainsbury's without a mask on? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know why I suddenly came up with that as the be all and end all existence. But <laughs> that's the difference between you and me. I want to go on holiday. Yeah, but that's Sainsbury's. It, that's it, isn't it? It's, isn't it strange how the choices as to whether we can go on holiday or not now have such a major impact on us? Mm. When previously it would have just been an inconvenience that we can't go this month or something yeah. like that. You know. Um, anyway, final stage: acceptance, uh, and that I guess is the stage that we're looking to get to, um, and I think. You know, conversations with you have helped me understand what acceptance probably means within this context. Yeah, so to me, acceptance isn't, oh, well, I accept that and, and I can get on with my life now. And mm. that's that's not it. It's not, for me, acceptance isn't, I'm okay that this happened. It's, this has happened and I'm okay. Yeah, that's a, that's such a huge definition. There. Yeah, because I think when people look at acceptance and they're waiting to become okay that they've yeah. lost that person or that thing, and 
you don't ever have to say I'm fine with the fact it's gone, but you have to know that you will be fine. I personally don't think that um, you ever, and I'm using inverted quotes here, you ever get over something mm. as as big as as the loss of a loved one mm. um i know i'm speaking very much from personal experience here and there might be people listening to this that feel that they are they are over it to the degree that they want to be over it and that they're they're yeah. okay and you know but i know um that i will live with this feeling of grief for the rest of my life um but i've just had to find ways of managing it yeah. rather than trying to eradicate it that has always been my problem but i know we're going to talk a little bit about that yeah later. yeah well i think as well that's it, it raises an interesting point doesn't it that some people will actively resist the the path to acceptance yeah because you know when people say oh you will get over it you will move on and when you're in that that's not and that's not always a welcome idea no i, I don't want to move on i don't no. want to get over it i don't want to forget them you know yeah. that forgetting sort of thing. them is 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 the big thing so like i used to think that i wasn't allowed to feel grief mm. in anything other than the first year after my mum died because i thought you know the oh well time has passed now mm. time has passed so you must get over it and you must move on with your life so i was constantly fighting myself and mm. i was fighting the feeling and fighting the urge of it and and one of the big thing that's that's helped me is is actually feeling it yeah is actually allowing myself as sad as it makes me to feel it mm. yeah yeah you know? well this is the thing sometimes you know when people say I, I just feel better for having a good cry at times I'm not necessarily talking <laughs> about grief or, or yeah, depression yeah. I'm just talking about sometimes we feel so much better when we've had a cry and I think the reason for that is because as much as the thoughts or the emotions that we sit in at that time aren't comfortable, mm. at least that part of us is getting heard yes, and, it, and is being allowed to express itself, you know, because there's nothing worse than stifling your emotions, no. you know, because it, it creates all sorts of problems. And, you know, it's like I've had it described to me like the, the bubble in the wallpaper. If you push it down, it will pop up somewhere else. As well. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like that. Yeah. So you have I, to get a pin and you have to put <laughs> a pin in it. Uh, release it, I suppose. Nice. Yeah, what a great analogy. I mean, I'm really pleased with that. Um, okay, so, but here's the thing. Those are the five stages that Kubler-Ross highlighted. Yes. And, you know, some people um, will reference them. Some people reject it as a model. And certainly, as we said, some people talk about the seven stages. Some people talk about the 12 stages. It depends the people, who you're reading yeah. about and who, um, who, what experts you're looking to for your, for your information here. But the one that I think, the stage that probably should be highlighted that we haven't mentioned is guilt mm. i think so many people when they experience loss go through some form of guilt yeah you know so we could talk like survivor guilt yeah if we outlive a partner or a relative you know i've seen clients before who've been dealing with the death of their child mm. and how is that ever going to make sense no how are you ever how is your mind ever going to really come to be at peace with the idea that I've outlived my child. Yeah. You know, because it's not something that's meant to happen. But somehow we have to find a way of, you know, accepting. And guilt of the last conversations that you've had as well. That's yeah. that's a really big one. I know, I know, you know, one of the last conversations I have with my mum, we were snippy at each other. Mm. And I remember for years, like hating myself for that. Yeah. Hating myself that the, one of the last conversations I had, we were we were we weren't arguing, but we were you know, I was sixteen years of age. Yeah. I was an annoying little shit. <laughs> you know, we were we were snippy at each other and 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 I 
you know, it's, it's that thing of, if I said to you now, do mm. you love me? Yeah. I'm hoping you would say yes. I, yeah, I think I would. You yeah. think you would say yes. <laughs> so I know, I know that you love me. Yeah. I know that you love me. But, you know, you, you have that thing where, because Hollywood is a lot to answer for for this as well, but because, like, the last words you said to somebody isn't, I love you, you mm. then start going, you know, mm. did they know I loved them? Yeah. Do yeah. I know they loved me? And it's like, you just know those things. You yeah. just know those things. But because... You know, I I know people that, the, you know, the last thing they had was like a full-on row with somebody. Mm. And and then they feel guilty about it because yeah. they never got to resolve that. You know, it's one of the reasons why we, we often say, you know, we never go to sleep on an argument. Mm. So it's... Is this because you're worried I'm going to die in my sleep because I'm an old man? Basically, so, yes. I see. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's fine. <laughs> um, well, you're absolutely right, though, isn't it? It's, it go, well, these thoughts go through your head. And yeah. you know they're not rational and they're not they're not necessarily reasonable. Yeah. Um, and they don't they don't tell you any truth but it doesn't stop you wishing that you'd said different things no, exactly. to them the last time you saw them exactly. um and and so but also there's there's so many there's so many other aspects of guilt as well mm. so you know could i have done more to help them could i have played a bigger part in their life should i have been around more yeah you know and and that whole thing of i wasted the time i should have spent more time with them you know mm. and, and that sort of thing none so of that helps no it's, well, exactly it and this is this is what we're talking about isn't it about it's okay it's understandable to feel this stuff even as we recognize well it isn't helping me to have yeah. those thoughts but sometimes those parts of you have to be heard i think so that you can look at those thoughts and say look i know that's not true yeah it's okay that that part of me is bringing forward that thought because you know what it only wants me to be happy and find the right path in life and a lot of times if we think we've done something wrong then a bit of us will try and hold ourselves to account for it, you mm. know. But it doesn't necessarily mean that's a thought we should dwell on or a thought that we should indulge or engage. No. Um, but here's the thing. One thing we need to say about stages of grief is there is no prescriptive time frame to go through this. No. And as, you, you've, as you've alluded to already, you shouldn't be beating yourself up if you're still struggling with certain thoughts long after you feel you should be. Other people have got over this faster than me or something like that. So I, I need to say that. I, so I, I often talk about my mum because I think that, you know, she's, she's a part of me. She lives on in me and, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and it comforts me to talk, talk about her. Um, and I was talking about her on Instagram. I was a couple of years ago. I was talking about her on Instagram because I think either her birthday was coming up or something was coming up. And um, someone messaged me who obviously was new to following me yeah. and said, um, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. And I said, oh, thank you. But, it, you know, it was, um, I, I don't know how long ago it was at the time, but basically put it this way, this year, my mum has been gone 16 years. So if this was only a couple of years ago, it was at least sort of, you know, 14 years or something. Yeah. And they messaged me back and they said, oh, sorry, from the way you're talking, I thought it was more recent than that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> and I was really sort of taken aback because I was like, there's no, there's no timeline for how long I should be allowed to speak about my mm -hmm. dead mother. Thank you very much. Yeah. And... You know, and and it don't get me wrong. It doesn't it doesn't feel like you know the year that that she died because I'm very you know I'm I'm a different person now and I've learned to live with it. But you can be damn sure you will find me crying at a picture sometimes, yeah. and that is okay. And this is the thing: a complete stranger was trying to make me feel guilty about grieving my mother years later, and all that tells me is this person maybe obviously deals with grief a very different way but this yeah. is how i deal with it and it's either this way or hide 
in the bed for uh, hours. This on is it, exactly, you know? and, and you know, you say a complete stranger was trying to make me feel. Gu- they absolutely weren't trying to make you feel guilty, though, yeah. were they? They were just saying the truth as they see it. And this is the important thing about grief and any sort of emotional um, phase we go through mm. is that we we will go through it the way that we need to go through it. Yes. Um, and there's nothing worse than somebody trying to push you, or you included, by the way, trying to push you to go through something faster than you're ready to go through it. Yeah. It's like, even if I'm walking out of that door, if you're behind me pushing me, to go faster, I will resist that push. Yeah. It's, it's natural, yeah? So we have to be allowed to go through our emotional journey at the speed that's right for us. Exactly. Yeah. And and I suppose that's that's one of my big messages, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you lost someone. It doesn't matter how old you were, how old they were, you know? Because you, you also yeah. hear the thing of, you know, people lose grandparents and great-grandparents and then say, oh, well, you know, well, they, they were in their 90s or she was over 100. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter. Like it doesn't. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it any better. And yeah. you need to just allow that. I suppose don't you know? Don't resist that if you're just arguing with yourself because that's just going to make you feel worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. So we've talked about some of the the thoughts that won't do us any favors. Yeah. Um, yeah. We talked about stages. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about um, the the idea that I've found helps a lot mm. with the people that I see that are dealing with grief or loss is is a, a strange. Having said, there's no prescriptive time frame here mm. i've found it helps for the person to start to conceptualize what they want to feel mm. okay now what i mean by that is when people come to see me for stuff they'll say okay i'm feeling i don't know anxious about this and i want to feel confident instead or, or something like that yeah. yeah when people come to me for grief they're not really conceptualizing a target result here no. they just don't want to feel the way they feel right now or they need help going through the grief process things like that yeah and of all the things that I see people for, grief is one of those ones that actually really benefits from a target because you've got to remember a lot of the reason we feel the way we feel is confusion. Mm. And it's almost like the bit of us that would conceptualise how we want to feel isn't isn't send, isn't trying to come up with anything right now no. because it's just accepting that it's going to hurt, you know, and accepting there's a process to go through, which, yeah. as I say, is no bad thing. But I always find that when I'm talking to people about this, and to be fair, I didn't, it's not me that, that, that came up with this idea. It was a client of mine that taught me this. Mm. Yeah. So um, somebody came to see me who just lost their dad. And um, and he he came in and I was a bit, you know, I felt a little bit out of my depth because I hadn't dealt with direct grief as in recent grief before. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of asked him, what do, you, what do you feel like you want from the work we're going to do together? Mm. And he said, well, look, you know, I've got, I've got a picture of him in my wallet and it's a recent picture it's like in the last year and it was just him smiling at Mm. an event a family event I think it was like a wedding or something and um the guy said to me that smile I I always loved it when he smiled like that because I knew that was him enjoying himself you know it was a real genuine smile and he said at the moment I can't really look at that photo because I feel the pain of the loss Mm. when I see that smile he said what I really want I want to be able to look at that photo and smile with him again Mm. you know and Sorry, I'll get a bit. Oh, yeah, you're not the only one. Anyway, um, and I just thought that was beautiful, and and that was actually what we went for because yeah. it was almost like the loss had stopped him enjoying such a great memory. Yeah. That really, right now, would be the most valuable thing he had was was the ability to revisit mm. those wonderful memories. Where yeah. does where does that sound familiar? Well. <laughs> 
from 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 <laughs> any any uh, Disney fans who may be listening to this <laughs> might recognize the idea of a memory uh could say a core memory <laughs> being one maybe tinged with a yellow joy um then this, this is like a quiz now isn't it then, what film am i referring to then getting touched by sadness well so you're referring to of course the inside pixar out. film inside, inside out, out. Yes. yes disney pixar's inside yeah. out okay well this is oh the my thing, god bing bong if you haven't seen inside out by the way um go watch it prepare yourself yeah um <laughs> go watch it with some ice cream <laughs> <laughs> but okay so there's there's a concept in it so by the way, Inside Out, I, mean, I know we have we deliberately steered it towards Disney again. Oh, um, here we go. We haven't mentioned Star Wars yet. So we're oh, well done. Well. Well oh, done. too late. Yeah, drink. Actually, um, I said this is the way. Oh, you did actually, yeah. God, even, <laughs> so we don't even notice it now. We don't even notice the Star Wars references. Um, but anyway, Inside Out. Um, the director of Inside Out, Pete Doctor, he consulted with two psychologists about emotions and how they work. Uh, I've got uh, actually written down Paul Ekman and Dacha Keltner, which I'm sure oh. I pronounced wrong. Um, Hi, Dacha, if you're listening. <laughs> good, yeah, good to see. Um, and and I think, and this is the thing, because they, for those of you who don't know the story, it is about a little girl who's moving away from her hometown into a new city, um, and the journey of that family. But it's seen through the eyes of the child, and mm. seen through the eyes of the child's emotions as well. So you see in her head, and you've got joy, and you've got anger, and you've got sadness, and they're all characters in her head, and they everything that she encounters, everything she experiences, is seen in that light, as in which emotion now has control right now. Control of the control panel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and the thing that we're referring to is when um, she was feeling sad, and I think Joy said, "Oh, quick, bring up that memory of her ice skating." That always makes us feel feel good. Yes. And then, of course, when that memory came forward, this time it was quite literally touched by sadness. Yeah, the character. Uh, and, it, and it had gone blue, and now it looked like a sad memory. And then because, it made her cry. Exactly, because now it was something that was gone from mm. her life that she'd lost. Yeah. And that's kind of what what loss does for us honestly i thoroughly believe that inside out should be shown in schools yeah. i really really do believe that to give to give kids more of a a handle on on you know their mental health without sitting them down and saying hey let's show you a film about mental health well, I, I absolutely believe that we should be taught how our emotions work and yeah. what they're for so that we can understand our own feelings a bit better but you know that that may even be for another another episode to yeah. be fair but this is what we're talking about and referring back to the client that i had as well it's like your mind has some great memories of the people and the situations that you love. That's why you loved them. Yeah. yeah. And what happens when we lose something is those memories become tainted with sadness. and Because you like, don't have them anymore. Exactly. And it yeah. becomes painful to revisit. So I think when, when I've been working with people before, our goal has been we feel sad because we loved this, let's say this person. Then. Yeah. So, so, um, and we love them because we had great memories with them. Mm. Now they're gone those memories become the most precious thing. Mm. And what we want to do is be able to visit them with the joy of, of that initial memory yeah. and, the, and the, the fond feelings, not just the pain of the loss. And that's why I think acceptance is the word we use for where we get to. Acceptance isn't, I'm okay, they're gone. No. Acceptance is that I can remember those times with them now and I'm, I'm kind of past the pure grief and loss of it. 
and I, now I can I can mm. smile at the the joke we shared or the memory that we we had together. But also, I think acceptance itself isn't linear and it isn't absolute because there are sometimes I will sit with you and I will tell you stories about my mum who would yeah. have loved you. By the way, um, I tell you stories about my mum and and I can laugh about it and I can laugh at the silliness and I can remember things. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll sit, you know, we'll we'll talk about my mum and and I'll be in tears the next minute. You know, yeah. it's very much it's okay if you you know you do feel sad about these things that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong that doesn't mean yeah. that you're you're not where you should be or where it, it doesn't mean any of that it just means you're human yeah. and it means you you love and you you missed something you know yeah. like for me for example grief to me generally the the way i would describe how it feels grief feels hollow right that's kind of it feels it feels hollow and empty mm. And and it's it's the the feeling of the not having the thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, for example, like it happens at the big time. So I know, like it's the anniversary of my mum's death coming up. I know that's never a great day for me. I know Mother's mm. Day is never a great day for me. Christmases, birthdays, there's always going to be that little sort of oh she's not here to enjoy it. Yeah. But I tell you, the times it gets me, it's the smaller times. It's the the most the most damaging can be just the the times that just sneak up on me. Yeah. Like when I was looking through photos and I just found a photo of my mum on a train. We used to get the train up to London all the time because I went to part-time school in London. Um, yeah. And and it was just her sitting across and she didn't even know I'd taken the photo. It was a real sort of candid one. And I just lost it. I just burst into tears because it was just that really mundane moment of something we would do all of the time. And, yeah. and I... And it took me by surprise because I wasn't on my guard that day, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I so it's that it's that sort of like that that hollow feeling. So now, you know, I'm at a place where I can talk about her. I'm at a place where I can show you photos and I can tell you things and I can watch like the, the mm. two videos I have of her. You know, mm. I can do all of those things and I can generally be okay. That doesn't mean it's not going to sneak up on me. Yeah, yeah. I you know, that doesn't mean it's not going to just jump out of the bushes and, yeah, yeah. and be like, ha, be sad. You know, yeah, it's not... But this is the thing, and I think as well, it's worth saying at this point that, you know, we're talking a lot about our own opinions, our own perspective. Yes. But it's, again, it's one of those things, and I suppose you could say this for everything that we talk about, it's it's entirely subjective. Oh, know? absolutely. It's entirely absolutely. your experience that matters. And I guess all that we're doing here is just discussing thoughts that we've had. But that's what we do on this podcast. You know, I've had people very kindly message me and give me suggestions of topics that we can talk about, mm. but they're topics that you and I have no professional or personal experience in. And mm. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to say to people, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be feeling. The, the best I can do and all I've done throughout my career is say, mm. I feel like this. I see things this way. If you do mm. too, you're all right. Everything's mm. okay. I think. I think there is possibly, you know, as we get as we have further episodes, mm. uh, slightly more legitimate reasons for, you know, just chatting shit about stuff we know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> but then that's what we come to the internet for, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> but um, but you know, so yeah, absolutely. So um, anyway, bring it back on track. Sorry, I think we I segued off there. Um, as one tends to as do. As one tends to do. I think for me, yeah, it, it's about being able to, I don't know, experience the good stuff about what we had you know because everything is part of our journey yeah. at the end of the day and I think this is the problem we have when we kind of we resist moving through those stages get into acceptance because almost like it's a betrayal of them if we yes. if we stop feeling sad and and 
depressed when we when we think of them. It's almost like if I get over this, what does that actually say about me and and the relationship with that person? Um, well, exactly. One of the reasons that we we don't want to sort of get over them and things like that is because we see that we don't want to forget. Mm. You know, that's that's the thing. We don't we kind of see getting over as as forgetting. Yeah. You know, like I, I remember I said to you, there's going to come a point when I'm going to forget the sound of my nan's voice. You know, because I don't yeah. have any any footage of that so it's that's that's the worry i think for a lot of people it's the forgetting of course if you do you just watch some gino de campo oh videos. my god yeah she sounded exactly like gino de campo it's hilarious <laughs> um but well this is the thing so i think it's important that um that we don't resist yes. um moving through the emotional stages if you like yeah. you know in terms of getting towards acceptance because it's not like uh, and this is what, uh, what i wanted to say actually when we lose a partner yeah. So if, if our partner dies, there's I, I see a lot of people. I, I've had many clients, in fact, that have come to me because they really there's a bit of them really wants to move on, you know, get into a new relationship mm. or, you know, kind of forge ahead with their life. Not that they want to forget their partner, but they want to lose the feeling of betrayal when they have thoughts about repartnering with somebody else. You mm-hmm. know? And um, mm-hmm. I can see your face. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm. I was speaking to my practitioners the other day and we started to talk about is this should we not have this conversation couples because there's a whole there's a whole level of dilemma that someone is put in when they lose their partner as in am I even allowed to contemplate finding another partner would my partner want me to move on you know Um, now I know your feelings on this you've made them absolutely clear to me all I'm saying is that if if you go first I will honour that I will move on with my life. I will find someone half my age and I will I will live out my days uh, very, very happy. No. However, <laughs> if I go first... Yeah, then it's over for me. Yeah. <laughs> I have to... Uh... Wear black yeah, every I mean, day. Morning clothes. Actual Victorian morning clothes is what I'm expecting. Literally like Queen Victoria. Absolutely. Just, um, yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're not allowed to... to to engage conversation with anybody else. You so just... if, if anyone approaches me, how dare you talk to me? I'm mourning my wife. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you're not allowed to, to basically you just have to grieve me for the rest of your life and never move on. I get you. Ever. I get you. And I believe there was talk <laughs> of some, uh, the construction of some sort of shrine. Yes. Um, uh, you would have a shrine to me that you would, uh, you would say hello to and, and you would, you would bring offerings of things that my favourites right. are like bowls of pasta and um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oreos, you know, the, the kind of the general thing. <laughs> and there would be a plaque on the, on the outside of the house saying uh, Britbox lived here. Do not even consider you are good enough to replace <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously I'm joking a little bit. A little bit. But you're, but you're not going to put actually, you're not going to have a, a recording of you saying it's okay to move on, Tim, are you? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, or in how a semi How are you going to move on from this? <laughs> how are you ever going to get better than this? This is um, peak. This is... this is yeah. This is the, anyway. The, we said we weren't going to make this this podcast as long as our last week's one. Yeah, we did actually. Yeah, but the the point I, I'm saying this because I advocate <laughs> people find it difficult to have the conversation about future grief yes. future loss because we don't like to think about losing things but no. the very you know the fact of the matter is one I don't want to be morbid here one of us is going to die first yeah unless we are actually you know we are wiped out together which um I can't imagine being in happy circumstances <laughs> in any way but um no. but you know one of us is going to go first and the other one's going to have to deal with the loss yes um I do feel like I've just drifted down a really dark road. Here. I know. I just hurry up and get to the end. <laughs> but the point being yeah. is that I think 
if we could be comfortable, I mean, I'm not saying we, you and I, because we do talk about this sort of stuff fairly, we do. fairly a lot, actually. Yes. That's why we're doing a podcast about this sort of stuff. But I don't think people engage in that conversation enough in terms of, look, if I go, mm. I want, you know, my, my only desire is for you to be happy after that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know your only desire is for me to be <laughs> destroyed and unable to move on, but yes. um, as complimentary as that might be, <laughs> I'm not sure it's a practical solution. All right, whatever. Um, but anyway, but this is the thing. I'm, so this is the thing I'm saying. I, I don't want to go too far no. down here because that's that's a conversation for individual people to have. Yes. But you know, I feel like when we lose somebody, the whole is it is it uh, ethical of me to move on do i am i to feel guilty if i have any feelings for other people yes that whole dilemma yeah. could be minimized if people had that conversation yeah absolutely. i feel i absolutely. feel you know. but anyway I'll, I'll move on swiftly, swiftly from that subject perhaps not swift enough um so the one thing i want to say here i want i want to come back to that idea of um the goal yeah because yeah. it's one thing talking about this happens but i just want to briefly before cover the goal of this because there's something that i really want to talk about um Loss is so difficult because we have less than we had, by definition, less than we had previously. Yes. And we do this thing. Um, there's there's a little idea that I, I sort of talk about called Darwin's scales. Mm. Um, we have to find, we have to do something that human beings are actually good at doing, but we don't necessarily engage in when we lose something. Mm. So um, there was um, a study done. I say a study. It was it was quite a small study, but they they took two people who'd had kind of the very polar opposite experiences. So I think somebody had won the lottery. Yeah. The other person had lost. You know, they'd become paralysed. That sort of thing. They literally lost movement, lost lost autonomy, lost mobility. And obviously, on the scale of happiness, you know, the the lottery winner was high up. On, and the person who'd who'd become a quadriplegic was quite low down, obviously. Mm. And they did those those grading scales that counsellors do sometimes in terms of how you feel good, bad, you know, yeah. happy, unhappy. And then they caught up with them about a year later. And interestingly enough, they were both pretty much in the same place, happiness wise, mm. because the person who'd lost so much had assimilated to it had accepted it, had zeroed the scales, as it were, and started to move on. And the person who'd won all the money had very quickly taken it for granted and got yeah. used to it and, and now didn't feel that visceral joy of, of getting that, you know. Mm. And human beings are good at this, yeah. So this is the way I conceptualise it. So if we were going to... So you, you do a fair bit of baking, I understand. I've, I've heard rumours, right? When you want to bake something, you put ingredients on scales, yeah? Mm -hmm. But you don't just put them on the scale. You don't put the flour on the scales. You put a bowl on it, yeah? Yeah. And the bowl weighs, I don't know, 20 grams. Just it's for, hilarious watching you trying to work out what baking is, but yeah. Well, this is this is my take on baking, <laughs> yeah. Um, that it's 20 grams or whatever. Now, so we have to hit zero on the scales yeah. so that it says zero. And then if we were to lift that bowl off of the scales, it would say minus 20. Yes. Okay. And that's like when we lose something. We've accepted it as part of our life. Yeah. And then we lose it and it's down to minus. So yeah. when we wake up tomorrow... Our scale we'll would start say at minus. minus 20. Yeah. And that can demotivate us from attempting to do what we would normally do, which was seeking to add little pluses to our happiness, yeah. which is what human beings do every day, you know. Um, and it can encourage us to say, you know what, I won't even bother because it's always just going to be another minus number yeah. when I've experienced it at zero. Yeah. You know? 
And I think what we have to do in some way, and how, how people do this is a very much an individual journey, yeah? But I think acceptance is reached mm. when we have zeroed the scales, yeah. yeah? And the reason I refer to this as Darwin's scales is because it was Darwin who worked out that it's not the strongest or the fastest that survives, it's the most adaptable to change. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm saying is that if as human beings we can do that thing of zeroing the scales so that we can at least get out of bed in the morning and say, right, let's add some pluses to my day, mm. then that, I think, is what we might refer to as moving on. Yeah. Not forgetting, not, not losing the memories, but actually saying, right, I'm, I'm now once again engaged in adding happiness to my scales. I also think as well that it's the realisation that things will be different. Yes. You know, so I, I remember once thinking I will never, I will never be happy again because of the things that have happened to me and things happened around me. But what I, I had to realise, and that took me a really long time to realise as well, that I will feel happiness again, and I do feel happiness again, but it's different happiness. Yeah. It's not better happiness. It's not the same happiness. I'm not replacing the happiness. It's just different. Yeah, but it is there. But it is there. Yeah, that's a brilliant thought. That's a brilliant thought. And I think when, when we kind of don't regard happiness as possible because it's not going to be the same as it was, yeah. that can be such a barrier to overcome. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, that's a lovely thought, actually. Um, so normally, we're kind of reaching to the end of the, the podcast now. Thanks for sticking with it, everyone. Um, normally, we give our top tips, don't we? Yeah. Um, and I don't think this is the sort of subject we could give our top tips for dealing with grief. No. Um, but... The one thing that you and I both agreed on when we were talking about prepping this was that the one thing we have to say is allow yourself to feel how you need to feel. Absolutely. I, I am absolutely certain that I struggled the most as much as I did in the early years after experiencing um, the bereave bereavements in my family because I didn't allow myself to grieve you know when mm. when my mum died I, I didn't cry I didn't cry for like two weeks you know it was really sort of it was very odd for me you know and I mm. I bottled everything up and and I quickly learned it's it's like when you get a bottle of a bottle of coke or something and if you shake that bottle and you just keep shaking it and shaking it and shaking it eventually when you open that lid mm. it's going to come bursting out and it's going to go everywhere and it's going to be messy you know, the key is to not shake it, to open the bottle slowly <laughs> and to just take each day, you know, really. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, feel it to the point where you're overindulging and that you feel like you can't do anything else in life. I'm just saying allow yourself permission to feel what you need to feel. If you had a friend and they came to you and said, this bad thing has happened, how do I get over it? You wouldn't turn around to them and say, well, you're still moaning about that. You're still talking about that. Yeah, yeah. You would hold their hand and guide them through it. And all yeah. I'm saying is just be your own friend in this. Yeah. This is it. And, and we wouldn't say, can you stop talking about bad things, please? I'm trying to think of good things. No. Yeah? Because, uh, and this is the thing, when we want to change our emotional responses, which is ideally, you know, what we're trying to do here, really, when we're going through grief, we want to get somewhere better than that. Mm. But the first step to that is is hearing how you're feeling right now, is listening to that part of you. Yeah. Because when we listen to somebody that is delivering an important message, after all, that's what our emotions do, yeah? Um, if that part can get heard, 
then it can start to listen back and it can start to come up with new things. If you're just repressing it, if you're saying, shut up, don't talk to me, all you've got is a part of you trying to deliver an important message that you're not allowing to land. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so that's I guess that's the only tip we have is, is don't feel bad about feeling the way you feel, but actually, you know, allow yourself to feel. And I think one thing we might start to say at the end of these podcasts, because I feel it's really relevant in this one, is if you do feel you're not able to deal with this alone, if you feel like I can't handle the way I'm feeling, please, please, please talk to someone. Yeah. Whether it be a professional, whether it be a friend or a family member, um, we should always feel like we can reach out because none of us will get through this journey alone. If you feel like there's no one that you can talk to or there's no one around you, there are so many phone lines you can call. There are so many anonymous lines you can call. There are now um, capabilities where you can text. Just please reach out to somebody. Yeah. Please reach out and talk to somebody. Yeah, don't don't sit in silence. And as nice as it is to hear myself and Britt chat about this stuff and, um, you know, and, and, and hear us talking about it, there's no substitute for talking about it yourself. Um, Absolutely. And so don't feel you can't reach out. And the one thing I wanted to, to finish the podcast with is that we've been watching um, WandaVision. Oh, yeah, back to <laughs> on, some Marvel. Yeah, nice. on, uh, on, on the Disney Plus. And that whole series is massively about grief. It is about grief. It yeah. is about grief. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's very beautifully done. And there was a quote in it um, that has stuck with me, uh, that um, has really struck a chord with me. And it's the quote that I would like to leave you with uh, today. And that is, what is grief if not love persevering? And I think that's beautiful. So we hope you've enjoyed uh, today's episode of the podcast. We've uh, tried to make a heavy subject as light as possible. Um, if you do enjoy these, please do share them. Please do get in touch. Let us know you're listening. Let us know where you are when you're listening to them. You can find me on Instagram at Brit Marie Box, and you can find Tim at Tim Box Mind Coach. Um, yeah, again, thanks for listening, guys. It really means the world to us when we can see exactly how many of you are listening and all around the world. And, and I'm, I'm just amazed by it. So I really, really hope that you're getting something positive from these um we love you lots yeah thank you very much thanks a lot guys keep thinking outside the box see you next time Bye-bye. bye bye